Welcome to the Building Management Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. As the building management industry has a slow but steady shift towards sustainability, energy usage has moved to the forefront of the conversation. New and exciting technology in energy storage might be the solution that brings consumers and businesses a reliable, cost-effective way to go green. Here to give us some insight on the shift towards energy sustainability in the building management industry and some of the new technology that's rising around that is Kevin Williams, CEO of Wise Power. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today, Daniel. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to dive into this concept of energy sustainability within building management. I feel like with building management, there's always going to be some conversation about going green, especially with the kind of buildings that, you know, need to be managed <laughs> in the general sense here. The the facilities are, I mean, think of a skyscraper. You have floors and floors and floors of plumbing, of, of lighting fixtures, of ventilation and heating systems. And, you know, finding ways to conserve energy on that end must be quite the conversation. So let's kind of pull back a little bit and look at the industry as a whole. What have you seen in, within that conversation of being sustainable within this industry? Certainly, Daniel, there's, there's a trend toward more efficiency with building management. The technology exists today to be able to certainly get more finite in terms of how we use energy and study and learn how we use energy. So we can use that information, that data, to help drive efficiency in a building. And that's what we're seeing. And one of the reasons that we began Wise Power was to be able to do that, to provide that kind of service to property managers, building managers, and so forth, so that they'd have more use of the tools available today to be able to help them do their jobs. And have you seen that been more of a business profit-led shift or a cultural mentality shift or kind of a mix of both? It's a mix of both, but it's interesting. That seems to be regional. You know, the farther you go west, as you know, California, that market, they seem to be more environmentally conscious. Uh, certainly care about savings and energy efficiencies, but we see that their interest is more in the green technology as opposed to just money savings or energy savings. So that's something that we've seen in terms of a trend. That's interesting that it is regional. You know, I, I feel like eventually we'll get to the point where the technology is so ubiquitous that people will be able to adopt it and save money while they're doing it. And just sort of going green is just part of being in the business. You know, it's there's just solutions that are easy to implement, cheap, and at the same time you get a green or a sustainable solution. You know, departing towards the specific technology, I really want to touch on energy storage devices. I feel like that is a market that can really lend itself to innovation, especially on this sustainable topic, finding ways to not just plow through energy, but reuse it, recycle, you know, that mentality of of finding ways to get more bang for your buck. So tell me a little bit about energy storage devices within the building management industry. What have you seen? Well, energy storage now is certainly getting its legs. It's earning its place, uh, its space within even the utility grid. What we've done is created a, a system. It's called a distributed energy source system. In fact, I'm the inventor and patent holder 
with that title. The idea behind that is to be able to take energy and store it and use it when it's needed. And there are various ways to do that. There's different technologies, but what we're finding now, the things that are cost-effective uh, in today's market is really battery storage. And you'll see that in, in many different forms and different shapes. Different companies are entering this field. In fact, there are many major players that are entering this particular field. Certainly was announced with Tesla and their Powerwall is, is one of them, but there are many others that have entered the field. We have our own power on demand uh, that we use. Our WISE power on demand is an energy storage device that does just that. It allows you to store the energy that's being generated or produced. However, ours is a little different. Uh, it works with either the current electric grid, where it's tied to the electric grid, or it works great with renewable energy like solar, rooftop solar, and other types of things. So the idea is to be able to use the energy that's stored, and you use that particularly in those markets where there's peak pricing demands. There are some markets, Daniel, where the price of electricity, the way we buy it, is priced differently during the daytime hours versus the evening hours. For instance, peak versus off-peak. As you can imagine, it would be nice to be able to power the home or small business when the price of electricity is higher and um, power it through stored energy. So that's what we're finding, and that's many of the solutions that are in the marketplace right now are designed for what's called peak shading. One of the things I'd like to point out is that you know it's important to match the way that we use electricity, and that's been our approach to this. You have to factor in the behavior that we have. So for instance, in U.S. households, we use the bulk of our electricity during two different time periods, from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. when we're getting ready for school and work, and then again in the afternoon from about 4 p.m. till about 9 p.m. as we're getting home, preparing dinner, watching our favorite shows. So if we could store the electricity to power those dwellings during those time periods, there's a tremendous amount of savings that's realized when you can do that. And that's what the market has really evolved into. That's really interesting, right? Creating a product that responds to the user. It's, it's centered, designed around the user. Do you feel like automation plays into making this possible on a larger scale? Yes, that's, um, you've hit upon really the reason and existence and what we look at as a differentiator with Wise Power. We use the internet of things to be able to gather the data that helps us understand how we use electricity. For instance, we've got on our website an energy assessment tool. It's a, a tool, it's a demo that shows you how you use electricity room by room. For example, as consumers, when we open our electric bill at the end of the month, we see that we're paying based upon kilowatt hours. But I always say this, I challenge anyone to tell me how many kilowatt hours a TV uses or their dishwasher or the washing machine. We don't know. So what we've done is we've created a way to input what's plugged into each room, literally outlet by outlet, switch by switch. And we use the internet of things to help us determine, A, how much power is that device using? And how do we convert that to real information, actionable information that the consumer can use? So it's important for me to know that the washing machine is using X number of kilowatt hours, but that converts to $1.02. 
So we can use that information in really interesting ways to benefit the consumer and feed them real-time data or near real-time data so they can take action during the event. The best example I give, or one that I like to give, is if you're accustomed to doing laundry on the weekends, on Saturday morning, you get up and you, you do your, your laundry, but you, we realize that our system can collect that data and say, you would save money if you actually did your laundry on Thursday night when you're watching TV in the hearth room around your favorite TV show, because the rates are different on Thursday evening versus Saturday mornings. So we would text that information to consumers so they could say, you know what, let's start doing our laundry Thursday evenings. We'll drop a load in when we start watching TV. So that's just an example, one example of how we can use data and information along with behavior to help consumers better manage their electric bills. And the same thing applies to building management. Imagine that same thing applying to restaurants and hotels and other kinds, types of buildings. Wow. I mean, that that could really revolutionize the way people use energy. I feel like the idea that there are different rates per different hours of the day, I feel like that isn't a very transparent part of energy usage. Um, Do you feel like that is communicated to the consumer? And how do you feel like, you know, with these energy storage products, that can be a little more clearer from the business person's end, you know, from the business's end, how can they be more transparent with that kind of information? The information is there in our electric bills, but it's not very transparent and not easily understood, even though it's listed there. Again, it goes back to kilowatt hours. That's how we're charged. So we don't really understand what device uses kilowatt hours in terms of measurable data that we can use and transfer into something we understand. We understand it in dollars and cents. So our application that's connected to our solution provides dollars and cents information. You combine that with different usage times. There's different utilities that have different rates. We have a database, Daniel, that lists every utility in the United States, along with every zip code in the United States matched to that utility. So a consumer that goes on to our energy assessment tool and puts in their zip code We give them a template to say, well, what kind of place is this? Is this a home? Is it an apartment? Is it, how many bedrooms is it? You just, a few mouse clicks and we'll give you charts and graphs on what the energy usage should be for that particular place. We connect the information with the precise way that consumers use electricity. An example would be the son's bedroom. He's got a gaming system there. He's got a TV there. He's got a lamp there. So our system knows that in the son's bedroom, those devices are being used a certain time because the Internet of Things will tell us through our technology how that information, how that energy is being drawn from the system, how it's being used. We then can say it's better to power the home using stored electricity. There's still enough electricity in the battery banks, in the storage unit to power the entire home. That's really important, Daniel, during power outages. So imagine this for a moment. When the power goes out, particularly in a home, there are certain things that we need to keep going. We need the food to stay refrigerated and frozen. So we need the refrigerator to stay working. We also need the lights to come on in the 
you know, the, the master bathroom or as we get ready again for work or for school. So we want to make sure that we can concentrate and direct the energy to those places that we need it. So in our system, since we've collected the information room by room, we can actually deliver electricity room by room. So I don't care, for instance, if I'm in a home and there's a family in the home, I don't care if the electricity is not working in the master, I'm sorry, in the formal dining room if the power is out. But I do want to make sure we still have power in the kitchen or power in the bedroom so we can begin to be selective as consumers. And during an outage where we are actually receiving the electricity and that way we can conserve it and stretch it out more when we're using stored energy that way. So on the technology side of that, how do you analyze each room specifically? How do you use technology to not only feed power back into specific rooms and specific outlets, but also gather the data from those specific rooms and outlets and, you know, come up with those really personalized solutions? Yeah, that's a great question because that particular capability and technology is evolving. So we have to develop a system right now that is future-proof that is backward compatible to handle things that are not internet enabled, but prepare also for the future for all those internet of things devices that are internet enabled. And so for the audience that doesn't quite understand maybe what IOT means or you know what exactly is that, basically we're entering a world now where every electronic device that we buy moving forward will have its own IP address, its own unique identifier. Uh, if you go into many of the big box stores now, you'll see the new refrigerators already have this. You know, you see commercials about it, the Samsung refrigerator or washers and dryers and many other devices. Soon, Daniel, every single electronic device is projected to be anywhere from 24 billion to as high as 60 billion devices worldwide that will have their own individual IP address, which means from a systems integration standpoint, we can use our cell phones and talk directly to those devices. We can use those devices that are connected to our home networks and collect information from those devices and bring it into a central hub, if you will, and then have that information go to our secure cloud and share information with consumers. That's the future. What we have now are devices. There is an interim step where there are plugs that you plug into the wall, and then you plug your appliance or electronic device into that plug. And it has the same effect. We're able to talk to the plug, and then we don't have as much functionality, but we can certainly understand how much electricity is being drawn, whether that device is off or on, and whether it needs to have power uh, sent to it from the storage unit or whether we're drawing power directly from the grid. Great. Yeah. So the consumer doesn't necessarily have to have a home full of smart devices to take full advantage of a smart energy storage system. Having those interim plugs sort of do the trick until it becomes commonplace to have a smart dishwasher and you know smart lighting system and smart everything. It'll get to that point. But I, I like that there's sort of an in-between. So the next thing is 
branching a little more into specifics of IoT, I feel like there's a lot of conversation around security when we talk about the Internet of Things. You know, I feel like it's a conversation we have with just the Internet in general, the idea of hackers or of data being vulnerable. Do you think that with something like energy, where so many people rely on it and like you said, I mean, in times of crisis, it's essential. What is the conversation like around the security aspect of something like an automated energy storage device? Well, our research has indicated is that security is the primary concern of consumers as they move forward into the Internet of Things. You hear all the horror stories of people hacking into baby monitors and turning the camera around on the, the homeowner instead of watching the child or the baby. It's, it's watching you know, the, the people that live in the home. And so there's a real sense of concern around security as we evolve into the Internet of Things. We take security very seriously. In fact, uh, our background is in cybersecurity. I founded a company 12 years ago that we just sold about three months ago. That company dealt with managing cybersecurity training and certification for the Department of Defense. I founded that company and it began with just a pilot for 1,000 users. When we sold the company, we had over 1.6 million users. So we certainly understand the importance of cybersecurity and we know how to protect it. So we've built a system with our intelligent energy storage and our IoT that involves seven layers of security. And from my standpoint, what I've learned, it's really important to build it in from the beginning. Security can't be an afterthought that comes in after the fact. It has to be something that is secure by design. So we've embedded seven layers of security in our process. What I mean by that is the device has to be secure. The network has to be secure. How you access the network has to be secure with things like uh, double authentication or, you know, where you when you're trying to sign into the network, make sure you send something to the device, to a smartphone that says, is this really you? Push this button so that hackers can't hack into it. That's one example. Uh, we also use certain types of devices, fobs. So when it comes to data security, information security, the best way to do that is to have something and to know something. So if you have a device that's unique to you, and in this case, we use smartphones because there are hundreds of millions of those that we use every day. And that's unique. It has a unique phone number. So if you have something in your hand that's only in your possession, that's going to be a major way for us to make sure that it's you. And then know something. That's your password or in many cases now your fingerprint. So those are ways that we can help protect on the device level. But again, there are several layers. So there are ways that we can harden the network. And we use some things that are proprietary to us, but certainly ways that we secure the data so that no one's personal identification or personally identifiable information, it's called PII, that's not accessible. So I want to be clear, though. I don't want to uh, give the audience the impression that once you access the Internet, if you open up a port to access the Internet, certainly bad guys can get in. So I don't want to leave the impression that that's not possible. It is. There's no way that anyone can open a port to go out and not have make it accessible for bad guys to get in. But there are ways to protect your information so that they don't pick it up. 
and that you can tell when a network has been breached or when your particular home network or other device has been breached. That's what we want to do and what we concentrate on. So going back to your original question, it's important. Definitely. No, I feel like the businesses that provide these kinds of product, whether it's an energy storage IoT device or it's just, you know, IoT security, the businesses have to do the heavy lifting and they have to make sure that whatever product they're providing is secure on all those different aspects so that the user experience, you know, you're you're bound to have some users that aren't as careful with their product as they should be. And so it's I think it's really up to the businesses to create a platform that is as secure as possible. So once it gets into the hands of the consumer, you know, they still have to be conscientious, but they don't have to do all the heavy lifting of trying to make that, you know, their connection and their energy usage secure. Definitely. So finishing off, the last thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, this kind of technology, being able to store this energy it feels pretty revolutionary for the consumer, but I feel like in a business-to-business conversation, it might butt some heads with larger energy usage companies. Uh, have you noticed that with these kinds of emerging technologies? Is there you know, some, some bad blood? That's also an interesting question, Daniel. Uh, as we were developing this technology over the years, many people, friends and family, told me, boy, the utility companies are not going to like you. Uh, You better watch yourself. But we have not found that to be the case. In fact, it's just the opposite. We recently had an opportunity to sit and meet with two different electric utility companies that invited us in to talk about how we can develop programs uh, with them instead of against them. So I'll give an example. The electric power utilities, they push out power from central power plants. We know that, you know, that we get alternating current that comes out from a power plant and goes throughout the power grid, goes from big transmission lines and steps down to the smaller lines that go into our homes and businesses. That's their model. That's been the model for a hundred years. However, they don't know when power goes out. They That particular system is one way. Now with the advent of smart meters and the smart grid, for the first time, there's two-way communication. And so for a system like ours, it's very beneficial to the utilities. If they knew, for example, there's a certain amount of stored electricity, stored energy that's out in the power grid, that's distributed out throughout the grid that they could call upon, then they don't have to produce as much. Because what happens, Daniel, is during peak demand periods, many parts of the country, for instance, in the Midwest where we're from, there are newscasts that put out warnings or alerts from the utility companies. When the temperatures reach 100 degrees for three or four days in a row, the utility company knows that the demand for air conditioning is going to be really high and that their normal production is not going to be able to meet the demand. So therefore, they have to fire up these peaker plants, these additional smaller plants that boost uh, the production. Those are very, very expensive to build. They're very expensive to maintain. And just imagine you've got to build this big production facility that only gets used maybe two weeks out of the year. Well, if they didn't have to fire those up, they didn't have to build any more of those and they could use stored electricity that's already in the system, they would save a lot of money. So they're okay with this technology. They just want to make sure that they're adopting it. So in California, for example, 
They just passed legislation recently, in recent years, where they're buying $1 billion worth of energy storage to go along with their existing electric grid. They realize the value of having that in the grid system. Wow. Yeah, I I appreciate that that kind of relationship is more collaborative than than having sort of an adversary mentality because I, I really think that utility companies can benefit from something like this in the exact same ways that you just described. The, the fact that they are willing and open to find new ways to save money both for themselves and for their customers is exciting for sure. And I really think it shows a shift in mentality across the entire industry more towards being renewable. And whether it's because of a profit mentality of, you know, we need to save more money because these other methods are just costing us too much. Or if it's more of the environmentally conscious mentality of, let's find ways to save on the back end so that, you know, we are just a greener as a company. Either way, it's it's that mentality shift that I think we're seeing across the entire industry that's that's really interesting and exciting. Yes, we're certainly seeing that trend and the fact that we've been invited by two different utilities to come and explore ways that we can take this technology and apply it to their particular grid just shows that. And again, there are many, many different projects around the country that are going on like that. Kevin, you know, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast and giving us some insight about innovation and energy storage technology and, you know, how these relationships are building within innovators and the larger utility companies to give consumers, you know, more sustainable products and um, a more sustainable experience. So thanks again, Kevin, for coming on the podcast. Daniel, thank you so much for inviting me. It was my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time. Mm-hmm.